out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of singer-songwriter. It is the one and only Wayne Hussey of The Mission, also had been in Sisters of Mercy dead or alive and various other musical combos but has just published his second book which is titled heady days the mission years 1985 to 1990 this has come out on omnibus press and follows on from salad days which is the early years going into the basically the invisible girls dead or alive and the sisters of mercy before the mission so um, yes this is another book which is absolutely fascinating and um, is a great insight into being a musician a band and the 80s anyway this is the interview with wayne so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat um i'm talking i talk about um, most people write one book about their life but this is actually the second with a lot of details and um, yes this was wayne's response wayne it's over to you that was my original intention with the first book, you know, was just to write one book. But once I started writing, it was like, bloody hell, a lot, there's a lot of going on here. And by the time <clears throat> I'd, um, uh, I, 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 I was actually well into the first year of the mission. And then um, I was supposed to deliver the book. And um, then somebody suggested to me, why, why don't you just finish the first book at, where you leave the Sisters of Mercy? You know that makes a, a good book in itself, in the in the sense that it's a story of a young lad with big dreams that goes out into the world, and and it's it's you know each band is a little step up, you know, and the Sisters of Mercy are on the verge of making it. Yes, uh, and then you split up, and then so they, 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 somebody suggested that's a good place to finish. The first that is book, a good so. place to finish, actually, and there's a lot yeah. of stuff. <laughs> Because most band, most musicians I spoke to, most bands have that five-year narrative. You know, a twelve-month honeymoon period, and then, interestingly, you know, in the indie world of the eighties, um, a, a John Peel play who does get mentioned a lot in your new book, um, and then a John Peel session. Obviously, that didn't happen for you. Um, and then, you know, the album, the tour, the set, tricky second album, and then possibly breaking up. Whereas you'd, you'd done so much before 80, 85. And most people at that stage would have said, I've just, I've had it with this music industry and the egos and the business. So how, how did you oh. manage to sort of bounce from the sister, sisters to the mission? Well, I just want to, I want, I've, I've, you know, ever since I was a, a teenager, I wanted to be in bands. And I wanted to be, that's what I wanted to do, was make music, go on tour, be in a band. So when, I mean, when I left the Sisters, I mean, it was my choice to leave the Sisters. At that point, it was a going concern. And, you know, we were planning to make a second album with Andrew, but then Craig decided he wanted to leave. And I really didn't fancy being left alone in the band with Andrew, just me and Andrew. So we were, okay, let's form our own band. Yes. Let's have fun. Let's, let's 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 be in a band with people we like and we can have fun with and and the rest of it. And uh, so that's what we did. And we formed our own band and then went out on tour, wrote some songs, went out on tour. And within three months of forming the well, three months within leaving the sisters, in fact, we we got our band together, we rehearsed up a set of songs, and we were out on tour with the cult. 
Yes, it's it's yeah. You mentioned in the book, you you suddenly get that thing because because one thing that's happened since I spoke to you last is that there's been two books, quite major works on that. I know you probably don't want to be related to that kind of genre of goth, but suddenly Kathy Unsworth and then John Robb have written books on goth, haven't they? So so it's yeah, been a... well, it, and also there have been a couple of books written about the Sisters of Mercy in that time too. Um, the lead scene primarily. Sisters of Mercy, um, which I haven't read either. Um, I mean, I don't see the point of reading them, actually, to be honest, because, no. it'll, <laughs> you know, I'll probably say, that's not true. That's not true. That's not right. That didn't happen. He wasn't, he didn't say that, <laughs> you know. Yes, that's, yeah. that's it. But yeah, so, so in the, you know, it's been interesting because, um, I suppose when a music scene happens, and and I know you also mentioned not wanting to be like a C eighty six band for obvious reasons, but um, but then you know things happen, then the time time passes, and no one really cares about it, and then thirty years later, people go, "Wow, that was an amazing scene," and that's sort of definitely been happening with the eighties quite a lot, hasn't it? With with those two books, there's been a compilation on the Bat Cave. Suddenly, everybody is suddenly yeah, thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, nostalgia is a big seller, isn't it? <laughs> It is a big seller, but I think there's also people appreciating it a little bit more for other reasons than just the fashion. I, I have a theory. I mean, we were just we went out on tour and we did a six-week tour of Europe in April and May this year, earlier this year. It was originally scheduled for 2020, but obviously COVID interrupted it. And then it was postponed to 21 and then obviously postponed again to 22 and then once once more to 23. Anyway, but by the time we went out, I was amazed that on the last tour, how many more younger people were coming to the shows in, than they had been, you know, pre, pre-COVID. And I have a theory that what COVID, the, the lockdowns made young people, because young people love the music, you know, they couldn't go out and socialise in the way that young people like to do. So they, they were, you know, sat at home and having to entertain themselves. So I reckon that a lot of them were listening to music and, in you know, they might like a band who might say, oh, our, you know, our influences were such and such in the 80s. And and then you listen to The Cure and it might it might suggest the mission or, you, you know, and I think that happened. that's happened. And um, as I said, they were very pleasantly surprised at how many younger people were in the audience on the, on the last tour. Yes. Well, I did an interview with a guy who runs that, is it the Las Vegas Punk Bowling Weekend? And they they sort of talking about, you know, you get the, you know, old, you know, original bands, you get some new bands, but the audience is also getting quite young as well. So I think people, like you said, are discovering a lot of that music and thinking and not worrying about during that time in the 80s, you were either in one tribe or the other, weren't you? You didn't you didn't sort of mix tribes particularly. It was a very, you know, you you had your yeah. band, you had your scene, and that was it. Whereas now, going back, like I sometimes do, you think, oh, actually, I quite like some of this kind of stuff from the Blitz kids. But at the time, I couldn't bear it. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think in a way it's, I mean, maybe you're right. I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere in Brazil, so I'm not really exposed to what goes on with the kids these days but uh i don't know i kind of think that um in a way it was less i don't know may, maybe the internet has opened things up but I, I i don't know i didn't i don't look back at it and think oh it was tribal it, it got tribal but not well, not when i was young not when you know in the late 70s and into the early 80s 
I don't think I don't I don't look back at that and think it was tribal. I mean, it it was post punk. It was punk, post punk, and then maybe it kind of you know the Blitz Kids and the, it. I think Blitz Kids, um, also, uh, the goth scene kept, was came out of the Blitz Kids as well, out of the New Romantics as well. I think that was a spin off from. You know that that, but when we when we used to go to clubs, anything, any kind of music would be played and would go, you know, would go down well. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it's like in clubs these days, but I would, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it was more tribal then, but I think, um, I don't. Everything has a genre these days, which we didn't really have many genres back then. You know, I mean, there's metal there's heavy metal there's thrash metal there's i don't know um all kinds of i don't know um shred metal i don't you know what i mean <laughs> there's yes. genres and it's it's like I'm, i don't know why why do we have to define um music in that way but yeah, i suppose that's that's how way it works the way for the journalist well i suppose i did an interview with was it alan jones who was the melody maker editor the other day oh, yeah. and it was that there is that thing that you know the the papers you know you either in a, a band who were in the melody maker you're a band in the enemy all sounds weren't you that those three weeklies were quite definite and and writers liked certain bands and writers didn't like certain bands and you had to to somehow sort of fit in there and hopefully get some good publicity so um yes, I suppose that well, did. I mean, I, I you know, I look back at that period, and you're right, there were the three main uh, new music papers, but there was also Record Mirror, there's also Smash Hits in number one, and um then the you know, they were bi-weekly, those those two. And um, I mean, it was definitely a case of playing the game, I think I think, with with the music papers. Certainly for me, I think, you know, it came to get coverage in the music papers, you had to be a bit of a mouth, you know. Yeah. They liked they liked people that were a little bit outrageous and would say outrageous things. And I've definitely developed a persona to deal with all of that at the time, you know. Yes. I'm sure. Yeah. So coming back 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 to that kind of transition between the sisters and then the mission at that point in in life, and because because you do mention quite a few times that you'd be kept getting burgled in in sort of your your home home places which seems to be some that followed you did how did you manage to survive financially at that point in your career because obviously it's it's still you know people don't make well, a lot of money in bands at that stage no i mean when when we were in the sisters i remember going out on tour with the sisters and then having to to go home in the middle of the tour you know to sign on yes and then back out you know you know you play in glasgow and then you go home get the train to back leads on the on the next day to go and sign on and then get the train every playing that night you know back up to edinburgh or whatever remember you know i remember having to do things like that um in the early days with the sisters and with the mission actually you know but um i mean the mission we we were very fortunate. I was very fortunate with the with the mission because I'd written some stuff with Dead or Alive that they used on the B side of You Spin Me Around, which yes. became one. So I actually earned a chunk of chunk of money off of that that um, helped us to pay for the recording of the first two singles for the mission. You know, so I mean, it, it, money wasn't important to us then. You know, as long as we had enough money for cigarettes and. You know, a few drinks and and you know, and the grammar speed, we were all right. We didn't. It's it, we didn't. You know, we had 
we we none of us owned property none of us owned even owned cars you know I don't, well, none of us could drive you know so it was <laughs> it was it was all about wanting to play music go out and be in a band and be on tour and and obviously when you're on tour you you, you know you get you get your drinks you know, you get PDs, you know, even though they were only like five quid a day or whatever they were. But um, yes, you know, there you, you go. You, you get a sandwich, you know. So, and did you? I mean, because it was interesting. Because last night I did an interview with that guy who was in the, the the guitarist in the very things, and we were talking about the performance on the tube. And I was saying, when I used to watch the tube, most of the audience looked really, really dead, didn't they? They looked quite bored, mm-hmm. apart from two bands. One being the Smiths that looked a bit keen, and the Mission, which went absolutely bonkers, didn't they? That must have yeah. was that a kind of a breakthrough moment with the band of suddenly. I'm yeah, I'm absolutely sh- sure it was. Um, I think. Uh, we got very fortunate uh, because we was get we were actually in Europe. I can't doing promo, I think, or actually play, maybe even playing some shows. I can't remember exactly, but we came back to the UK and we had the tube appearance. Uh, it went out live on a Friday night, so we had the tube appearance on the Friday. I think we got back on a Wednesday or something, but Britain was covered in in snow. You know, it, everything was snowed in. And there was severe doubt whether we could actually make it up to Newcastle, which is where they filmed the tube. Um, um, our trucks, our, our equipment trucks set off a day early. Um, a phonogram, our record label managed to um, get us on a flight from London up to Newcastle. So we got there and then, um, God bless them, a load of our, our fans who followed, you know, we started to have a, a very loyal fan base, managed to get there as, as well. You know, I don't know exactly how they got there, you know, because on the train and, and hitchhiking or whatever. But they were there outside the TV studio, you know, hoping to get in. And they, um, because of the weather, the, the, the usual tube audience, the usual invited audience, n- nobody could make it. So the, the the producer of the show just said, "Well, let this lot in then," and it, and it really did. You know, they they were they were the stars of the show. Really, I said that in the book. You know, I mean, they'd be, every time they were in the studio, and they, it was um, what's his name? Uh, oh, Jules and Jules. Yeah, Jules and yeah, Jules and Paul. Whenever they were trying to talk in the studio was like Eskimo Jules is enough, <laughs> and all that's the kind of stuff and it was like it was crazy and, and, and I you know I, I watched it when I was researching for the book for the first time in years and um what struck me about it and again I say in this book uh, it is how punk we were we didn't look punk but musically how punk how how energetic and and if I'd been a 15 year old kid at that point I would have wanted to be part of that you know that was going on in that audience. You know the confetti and the and the you know the 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 um, the audience participation. Yes, you know they were, they were yeah. literally on on each other's shoulders. I, I, yeah, and I, I, we, I, we had Wasteland out, out at the time as a single, and I think uh, it, I think it had gone into the charts, and we twenty four something like that, and we were hoping for a top of the pops appearance. And then we were, it, then the midweek chart position was for it to go down. And then we did the tube. And then we went off to tour in Germany. And then we got, to, we, we were in Berlin. And in those days, you didn't have internet or anything, you know. So we, we got got to the hotel and our tour manager was there waiting for us in Berlin. So got, got some news. Um, 
your single's gone up to number 11. It's like, what? You know, because, you know, fuck me. That, that, that's crazy because, you know, we fully expected it to go down in the chart. But the bad, but the bad news was that we couldn't do Top of the Pops because that week they were going out. They decided to go out live with it, Top of the Pops, which was very rare. Yes. We already had a show booked in Hamburg, which we were which we refused to cancel just to do Top of the Pops. So we yes. ended up having to wait wait for that Top of the Pops appearance. But um, I'm absolutely convinced that that appearance on the Tube was very instrumental in pushing Wasteland up into well, almost, it did. almost the top. It was almost the top. I know. Well, I think, was, was it Jay French from Twisted Sister? They had spent the whole 70s not getting signed and not getting anywhere, and they got an appearance on the Tube, and that was somebody watched it and went, we got to sign that band. And they, and that was their kind of moment. So it was an important program. I mean, one thing that's... It was. It was, an, it was an arbiter of uh, taste, you know, of, of new things. You know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, first appearance was there. I mean, they were very instrumental in breaking Frankie. And Madonna's first UK appearance was on uh, the Tube. Yes. And there was an, an awful lot of ranting poets as well. So that was always yeah. good. And Margie yeah. Clark, who I'd sort of forgot about letter. Uh, letter to Brezhnev and you, you, she gets mentioned with lots of other cultural kind of icons in your in your fantastic yeah, book. Yeah, I used to know her a little bit when I lived in Liverpool, you know, so it was, uh, she was always a face around town, you know, so I hung out with her a little little bit. And how important was Eric's to you during your earlier years? Ah, very important. I think it was, um, it, for me, it was possibly... It was a turning point in my life, I think. I mean, I'm, I'd left Bristol, you know, left uh, the family home and moved up to Liverpool. So I was on my own and um, living in cold water flats, you know, with no heat and no bathrooms, shared bathrooms with the rest of the house and stuff like that. But it was in many respects, I look back at that with the fondest of memories, you know, that time. It, I was young, I was away from home, I was on the doll, I was playing in bands and going to Eric's and making friends at, at Eric's, like-minded souls, you know, like the same kind of music. And, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, there were a lot of bands that came out of that scene. And, so many bands i mean it's just yeah. been incredible from your bill yeah. drummonds to your sort of yes um frankie and uh the the lightning seeds and all those people came yeah, out of the barracks yeah absolutely so, Teardrops, yeah uh yeah there are loads of them and how does it compare a little bit with the lead scene because i know that cherry red records has now got their five cd box set of leads in the late 70s early 80s and obviously that's another i don't know i don't I, well i mean but i i joined the sisters i, I left Deborah alive in eight, late 83 and joined the sisters i got asked to join the sisters and so i went over to leeds and the sisters were already kind of established really in leeds anyway they, they um they were already seen as um uh they were local celebrities really so i kind of walked into that and it was um i was just talking about it with my wife actually the other night it was probably the only time in my life when i was the guitarist with the sisters that i ever felt ever really felt cool you know? <laughs> how do you compare a... yourself to andrew because because i mean obviously this very well, strong character and way indeed yeah, he, yeah, he is. He he was, and I I assume he still is a very strong character. I mean, he he, you know, he's gone his own, forged his own way, and and he's done things his own way. You know, he's not um he's not 
bowed down to the business or anything like that. Um, I mean, I think I find it incredible that he's managed to, to sustain a livelihood and a good livelihood all this time without making bloody records. You know, I think that there must be something in that, you know, it's like the cure have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the last two decades. You know, it's been almost 20 years since their last album and they just got bigger and bigger. So then there's something to be said for not making records, I think. Yes. But the cure do keep, the cure do keep touring, don't they? On these punishing yeah, well, so the sisters. So the sisters. Yes. But um, yeah. yes. Did you find that period of you know the legality of life, which most people have a moment where they get a little bit tied up with something that they didn't kind of understand and having to break out of something quite scary between the sisters and the mission starting? Well, of course, you know, I mean, as I said before, when when we with the sisters, with our last show, Craig, Andrew and myself was Royal Albert Hall. And we were, you know, we were, we'd had singles that had gone into the charts just outside the top 40. We'd had first and last and always released that had gone silver. So we were on, on the verge of, you know, making that breakthrough. I mean, um, and it, it certainly would have just got, got, gotten bigger if we'd stayed together. Um, <clears throat> but it, in the end, you know, we were young, and 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 it wasn't important. The security wasn't important to us at that point. You know, we were, we just wanted to go out and play, play, be in a band with mates and go and play. You know, and so with with Andrew was becoming um, more, uh, more into the idea of spending more time in the studio and less touring, which was like, mm. plus musically we were veering off in different directions too which you know which is a huge factor and and it was a constant battle really with andrew i mean uh, you can how can you say you can um it was a situation that i just you know obviously good arc came out of the situation but in the end the price to pay for that good art didn't warrant me and Craig staying there and, you know, being miserable. I mean, we weren't miserable because we had, we had each other, Craig and I, you know, so, but, um, you know, we, we didn't get on very well with Andrew. Andrew wasn't a very particularly warm person or easy to get on with as, as you know, everybody knows or everybody's heard. Yes, and, uh, and in the end, it was just like it's not worth it. It really isn't worth it. You know, let's go up, and and, and it just it still applies. You know, what? Why do something? I know bands that really hate each other, but they're still together and they go out and tour. And they, you know, it it because it's become business. It's become you know they become global brands. They all travel separately, and they you know they don't. The only time they actually see each other is when they're on stage together. You know, and it which is fine if that's what you want to do, if that's how it works for you, absolutely fine. I've got no problem with it. Yes. But you know. So coming back to writing the book, did you feel kind of exhausted after the first one and have to take a bit of a break to digest what had happened and get the reviews and any comments that people had that sort of um, wanted to have a chat with you about well, it? Well, I, as I said before, when when I wrote the first one, I had every intention of just writing one book. But, it, you know, I ended up writing so much. That, um, you know, as I say, somebody suggested just 
cut, cutting it off and making it writing another book. And um, so I'd already written the first couple of chapters for the second book when I was writing the first book. You know? Yes. Um, but then COVID happened. And COVID, I, I guess COVID hit everybody differently. You know, we all reacted differently to the lockdowns and everything. For me, it made my wife, for instance, ultra creative. You know, um, she painted, she she wrote songs, she learned, taught herself to play the ukulele. She, you know, she got very creative and very, and that's how she dealt with it. Yes. Myself, I became creatively quite inert, I think. I didn't feel like writing any more of the book. I just didn't feel in the right frame of mind. You know, I knew I had the book to finish, the book to, to write and finish, but it was just like, you know, I'm not not in the right airspace for this. You know, here I am in Brazil. I don't know if I'm ever going to see my parents again. We don't, nobody knows what's going on in the world, you know, mm. how this is going to evolve, you know, and develop. You know, it was a strange old time. So um, I didn't feel like making music or any new music, and I didn't feel like, like writing a book. Um, what I did do, was um re-record tower of strength with a bunch of uh, i roped in a bunch of music music uh musician oh, friends and, yes and we released it um as a charity thing you know when you know and it 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 did it raised over a hundred thousand dollars which was um which is good i mean it's a drop in the ocean really but um that that was my way of dealing with the covid lockdown you know it was okay i need to I don't know. I need to um, contribute here somehow, somehow in some way. And, um, you know, making music is what I do. So it was like, okay, let's do this. I've got a bunch of mates I can call on to, to get involved, which, which we did, you know? Yes, and absolutely. After, yeah. And after a while, you know, after a while, whilst COVID was still around the lockdowns reased a little bit, I kind of felt a little bit easier about things and, you know, and um, the world kind of eased up a little bit, I suppose. And then, I, you know, it's like, okay, I need to, I got back to writing the book, you know, writing the second book. And, and the second, I think the second book was harder to write than the first, <laughs> principally because it, it's a weird thing, but a lot of my childhood and teenage memories are really quite vivid. But my memories of the twen my 20s, 30s are a little bit more blurred. So there was a little bit more research. And, yeah. Can you remember what happened here? Yes. Like, Did really you, were you were you surprised how much consumption of drugs there was in, or not surprised, but re, revisiting that and look, thinking about your younger self and what you were doing to yourself, was that quite surprising or a bit shocking or a bit depressing? No, not at all, not depressing. I, I never I never felt addicted to drugs, drugs ever. I never felt like I needed drugs to, as a crutch. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't reacting to a childhood trauma or anything. You know, drugs were always just fun. You know, you're doing you with mates, let's do some speed, let's, you know, have a smoke, let's, let's do some acid, let's have some fun. And, and it, it, it was always fun, really. It was, um, I mean, it became ever present with certainly with the mission for the first few years, but, um, I think a lot of bands are, are were like that. Probably still are, you know. I mean, we're not, but but no. 
because there's some lot of kind of personal details in, in here isn't there when you suddenly found that you that you know a woman in the book a, a woman i think t isn't it she's suddenly being you're told that she's pregnant and that i mean revisiting that what was that like for you going through that kind of memory well um i'm still in touch with her i mean she's still she, she's still very um friendly with my mum and dad actually and um and and my daughter and um and, and stuff you know my mum and dad see them a lot more than i do um yeah and no, i mean it was some of the stuff some of the memories that came back i mean it it's weird because when you remember one thing you remember you know a whole host of others come with it yeah and and, and I, I i look back at it and think okay we had a lot of fun but i think maybe i was a bit of a pain in the ass at some time you know at some point and maybe not a particularly nice person i don't think i, I ever was intentionally you know nasty or anything but i think it's the combination of fame to the degree i you know experienced it and the drugs and all the rest of it and also being in a band you get molly coddled you get you know you it's it's you, you can get away with murder almost you know or if you felt you could and i i just think maybe i look back and i think mm, you know what maybe maybe i was a bit of a bit of a tit sometimes but um you know it was, it was, it was, it was yes i don't i don't regret it that i mean there's nothing i did that i really regret there would i mean you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps wish that I it hadn't hurt people, some people, certain people, in the way that I had. But I think everybody goes through life, regardless of who you are and what you do. You know, you're going to hurt someone somewhere along along the way. Yes, and um, you know that's kind of the only regret I got. Got really. I mean, you know, the drugs were part and parcel of. You know, they were part and parcel of who we were as people and as a band yeah really i don't i don't see it was i don't ever i never saw it as a problem no but also your songwriting it it's one of the i don't know about lucky but one of the things is that it it, it didn't seem to damage the 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 ability to write and produce and record and tour you know which sometimes people well, yeah, no, I mean, the, the first couple of albums were definitely written, certainly lyrically were written while I was speeding. And uh, I think it was um, it was really Mask, the third album, where I really curtailed my use of speed and started writing songs, you know, just kind of sober and straight. Yes. And, and then you look at the lyrics for Mask and they're actually, you know, a lot more uh, pointed. Whereas I think the first, the earlier albums were more, um, uh, how can you say? Um, I mean, I was writing songs and I didn't really know what I was writing about. You know, I, I kind of write them and, and think, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, this this kind of works. And then look at it the next morning and think, I have no idea what that means. But yes. it meant at the time. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it was... I'm I'm one of those people that like to when you create you create and I think the most potent time for a song is when it's first written and I also like to do things I don't like to spend a lot of time over 
little details when you're recording you know i like to get things down cap capture a spirit capture an energy and then move on to the next thing you know i'm not one of those that will spend weeks and weeks on a snare sound or anything like that you know yeah i mean the, i mean it's tim palmer produced your first album who was obviously one of the go-to producers at that time he he suddenly captured the sound of the band beautifully didn't he you must listen to that and think that's amazing um, I, I don't really listen to it, but Tim Tim was very easy to work with. I'd worked with Tim previously when I was in Dead or Alive, so I I, I, I knew him. I mean, at the time he was, the, you know, the, the house engineer in tape hop on the Dead or Alive album I played on. Um, Tim, I mean, I still in touch with Tim. I mean, I messaged just two days ago, you know. Um, um, yeah, I mean, um, I think Tim understood what was best or what is best he understands what is best about the band and and there have been times when i've I've kind of kicked against that you know because i wanted to go off and do something musically different or go somewhere else and you know tim has reined me in and um you know when again i say this in the book that there are the times when we needed to make a mission record tim is the go-to guy you know, because he knows how we should sound. Yes. Did mm. you? Yeah, because on that second album, you obviously, because in the John Rob book, there's a person who I think lived with you in Liverpool, Nina, and she mentions that you used to sort of listen to various bands a lot, including Led Zeppelin. So mm. obviously they were a band that you loved during your yeah. youth. Did that feel a little bit sur surreal that suddenly one of the members of the band is is there playing with you and producing your second album of course <laughs> i mean you know i mean the thing the thing is i mean in hindsight i mean it, perhaps i don't know i mean you know we had the opportunity to work with a member of led zeppelin you know the record i mean i'd already met jimmy page and um although fleetingly um and he was a big guitar hero of mine when I was younger. And then um, obviously when we come, we, we did the first album and it, you know, was successful. We were riding that crest of the wave. And, you know, really in, in looking back at it, maybe, you know, we should have been a bit more loyal to Tim and gone and made the second record with Tim. But then we wouldn't have had John Paul Jones input on the second record and his input was and his his input and his involvement was immeasurable really you know I mean and um the opportunity to work with you know a member of one of your all-time favorite bands was too good to pass up <laughs> yeah and then be... you know then we went out and talked with Robert Plant in America you know promoting that record so because there was because in the book, and I can't remember which tour it was, where you did an American tour where you, was it five weeks without a night off? You said we didn't want to mess around. Yeah, something like the first tour. I mean, that was a that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> did that no amount of drug, no amount of drugs helped us there. I mean, actually <laughs> just tips us over the edge, to be honest. I mean, we did have not we did have nights off because physically to travel from one place to another just would just took too long. You know, yeah, huge. And it did sound from the book that things got really messy with, you know, you know, I don't know, it was sex, drugs and rock and roll, wasn't it? And people almost going to, you know, 
going to get locked up if they weren't careful. Were you a bit amazed when you were reading it and thinking about some of those scenarios that you managed to finish the tour without all being locked away? Well, I, I look back at it now and, and I think if if that was us now, I think we'd all be probably been serving jail time. <laughs> um, social media, I think, is really, uh, I think we would have been a lot more... Um, our activities would have been a lot more behind closed doors. I mean, you know, we were very vocal, and very upfront about the kind, you know, our lifestyles, choices. But then it was a different time, you know. So, um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, as I said before, I think when you're in a band, you 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 feel like you can get away with all kinds of misbehaviors, and you can, you know, you are indulged. You've got people around you to to smooth that smooth, you know, smooth things over when. They get a bit sticky. Yes, um, it 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 doesn't make it right, but it it's it was you know that was the way we lived and that was that, and as I said before, I don't regret any of it. I mean, you know, I don't, I never physically hurt anybody emotionally. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I did, but um, physically not. Um, I mean, you know, I was bigger danger to myself than to other people. I think. Yeah, you know, so it was. It was you know, it was a choice. I don't regret it, but the the moral climate has changed so much since then and to, to now, you know. So I, yeah, I, you know, I don't. Re we really wouldn't be able to get away with that behavior today. No, this this is true. And did you because you've got this massive passion and love for Liverpool Football Club, haven't you? Were were mm -hmm. you following that religiously throughout the? The eighties at the same time as this, you know, your I, I was until until Hillsborough. And then I kind of when Hillsborough happened, it was kind of we, we did the benefit and everything and I kind of lost the I lost the love for the game a little bit. You know, I I think the the, the tail end of the eighties, the you know, the hooliganism that was rife in within the game. And um I don't know. I think I just, you know, obviously being in a band and working all the time as well and being away from home, you know, and we didn't have the internet. So trying to follow what was going on at home with the football was not always easy, you know? No. So I think I, I, I fell out of love with the game for a few, few years, certainly. And it was, um, it was only when Robbie Fowler started playing in the, about 93, 94, that I've, you know, picked it up again, really, and started being, you know, being passionate about it again. Yes. I think it was Andy Cousins who I interviewed, and he, I think he mentioned this, and vaguely, you know, it's a long time ago, he said, oh, God, if Liverpool lose, and you know, during that period, you know, you were in a bad mood for two days. <laughs> it's still the fucking case. It's like, I don't know. It, it, it I, I, I hate it because, you know, if um, it... You know, I hate the, the power that it has over how it can determine my mood for a week, you know, until the next game. Yes, you know? it's I, true. I, I, I really, you know, hate hate the fact that it holds that much sway over my mood. But um, there you go. You know, we all have crosses to bear. Well, I, 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 you know, confession time, but I love listening to to the manager, Jürgen. I just think he's such an inspirational speaker. I love his enthusiasm that even though yeah. I'm not a Liverpool fan, I just think he's as a human being is quite beautiful. And I just love Yeah, I think I think so too. I absolutely agree with you. I think I think he gets the club, he gets the city, 
he is also um he's not one of these managers that you know um insists on huge transfer funds you know he 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 what he's done there has been miraculous miraculous really because in, ter in terms of financial power, Liverpool are way behind the Chelsea's and the Man United's and the Man City's of the world, you know. But um, so what he's achieved over the last what seven years, eight years he's been there, it's been incredible. Yes, and he, as 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 you say, I think he comes across as a really, really lovely human being. You know, a caring, um, um, humanitarian. Yes, he's yeah. not very. He's not a Machiavellian. Oh, I'll step on this, and then I'll go to that, and then I'll step on that and get to that. I think he's just like, no, this is what I love, and I have a sense of loyalty and, you know, passion, yeah. and um, and a genuine guy. So anyway, that's <laughs> that. Yeah. So when we as we were trucking through the eighties in in a sort of yeah, like you said, it was full of disasters as well as kind of amazing music. Did that period? That later part of the 80s where ecstasy comes along and dance music and then we had, you know, all that Chicago house music and then the grunge world. Did that start to filter into your kind of listening or your kind of idea of, oh, this is a little bit of a different vibe? Um, well, yes, it did. And uh, yes and no. I mean, when I, I mean, I, again, I write this in the book. I, I remember Pete Wiley mentioning he's got he's going to see Happy Mondays. I was like, never heard of him. He said, you will. It's like, really? And, um, you know, and then I remember being at Crew train station and seeing these two young girls with the baggiest jeans on and the brightly bright T-shirts with this stone roses. I'd never heard of them. You know, so it's kind of saw, that's how I saw, saw it coming along. Um, I wasn't into ecstasy at the time because craig and i had done ecstasy in new york when it was when it first became in, like in 1984 or 85 and it wasn't a great experience we we think our ecstasy was predominant mostly heroin so it was like well, i don't see what the fuss is all about you know, everyone's going crazy about this new drug called ecstasy we did it you know three or four years ago rubbish you know <laughs> It was. You know, I just wanted. To, I just wanted to lie down. It was like what, like you know, get right. up and go, you know. So, it. I didn't get into ecstasy in nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine, not even nineteen ninety. Actually, it was only when we finished touring in ninety, and I was went living out in the Herefordshire countryside, and Mick used to come down to visit me, and so he he used to bring ecstasy down, and we used to have you know ecstasy nights listening to lots of different music and he would play things like s express basomatic and stuff like that's that's what we started listening to you know rather than rock yes. you know a bit, a bit a bit of happy happy mondays um but mostly massive attack was another fave you know um yeah i mean you know yeah so we start i mean i started listening to that kind of stuff but it's one thing listening to it whilst you're on ecstasy and another thing listening to it while you're completely sober washing up in the kitchen you know or, or you know driving the car it is it, yes. it it works when you're in a certain um in a certain state of mind i think uh i don't like any drug it works when you're in you know some music works really well in certain states of mind but then you know <laughs> in another state of mind it's like 
okay, what did I see in this? <laughs> yes. So when yeah. you came, as, as we sort of almost get toward the end of the book and you get your the carved in sand, what was it like with the band at that stage? Because you'd been together for quite a few years and gone through a lot of experiences. Was it starting to get quite hard work keeping the dynamics together? Because there's obviously been quite a lot of bits and pieces and there's a bit in the book. Yeah, we, we, I mean, you know, when the band first started, we all kind of lived in the same area in Leeds. Well, Simon lived in Sheffield, but he'd come up to Leeds. And we, you know, we all our crew were local lads and we were all very much a gang. But with time, we all moved, you know, and we were all living in different places. Simon lived in Sheffield. He, he, he remained in Sheffield. Craig, Mick and myself all started living in London. Craig moved to Brighton, moved, moved back to Leeds. I stayed in London and moved out to Hereford. Yeah, well, I mean, we 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 grew apart for sure. And obviously we started having relationships. Um, so we spent more time with our partners than we did with the band when we were not working. Yes. Um, we also, we, we started having a bit of money. So, you know, we started... I got into cocaine, you know, which is an expensive drug compared to speed. And um, and we all started doing different drugs, really. So we were all kind of in the different headspaces, which kind of didn't bode well for working. I mean, I think that I think that happened with Hawkwind, didn't it? I think some members took speed and some people took acid and, you yeah. know, it wasn't good. But you need well, you, you need band therapy, really, don't you? And the same drugs. Yeah, and I just think we grew apart, and I think we, you know, I think we, it, it became a bit too much. But carved in sand for me is it's, whilst there's quintessential mission in in some respects, it also became quite, um, I don't know. I think we kind of adhered to a formula to a degree. Yes, that's that's, that's what I was talking about with Tim before because Tim did that album, and if you if if somebody was to ask me, okay, what's the most typical mission album i would say it's carved in sand and tim produced that album and and it sounds great it does sound really you know recorded really really well yeah, it's not my favorite album but it, it's 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 as a mission album i think it's you know the one that probably epitomizes more than any other because in the band. book you said you don't have many regrets but one of them is it the track listing on that album or yeah. the next one no, it was that album. It was Cloud and Sand. We, I mean, we did. We record. I've written about twenty songs. We recorded them, and and then we decided to um, choose the songs by committee. So we had American management at that point. We had British, UK management. We had the record label heads coming over from you know became a global priority. So we had record lo label people coming from America. All the, the record label in, in Britain were, you know, what to say and everything. And then we got a group of fans in to have a listen. And, you know, we, we took on board what they said. And it was the one and only time, really, that I, I relinquished that control where, you know, I, I had the final say on what went on. Yes. What didn't go on an album. And did you, I mean, because your relationship with, I was going to say, on. your relationship with Craig is so important but is it God, i just was um just remembered but did he also have a child with the same person that you had a child with How did, so what was that kind of, yeah. just it's, it well, kind of puts fleetwood mac in another level doesn't it 
Uh, oh no, I've just been reading about uh, uh, reading about uh, Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. It's it's quite a story that one. Yeah. Um, uh, I well, were I you... mean, no, Craig and I were close from the minute, the minute I jo- joined the Sisters, really, and we became close, obviously. And um, but it was you know, as an old girlfriend of his that I got friendly with, and you know, things happened, and um, um. Craig had a daughter with her and she's like three years older, I think, than my daughter, two, two or three years older than my daughter, the same girl. Yes, so. and this is Hannah, your daughter. Yeah. Blimey, there you go. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know, I mean, as I said, both sets of parents have kept in touch with T and the daughters, you know, they've they, so they've had that and, you know, they have had that. I mean, in, in a way, I guess you could say that Craig and I are related in a roundabout way. Um, and do, I mean, and, and do the, and do and do I, the do, and do the daughters like the mission? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, Jessica comes to see us quite regularly. Hannah doesn't. Uh, Dylan, Dylan lives in LA, so she hasn't seen the mission for quite a while. But she's, she's my later daughter. Uh, she, I think, um, she'll probably come to the show in LA when we play there next month but, yes um, absolutely I, I don't know it's, 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 does my mum and dad really like the mission they always come yes I think they have their favourite songs I, I'm not sure they would pay us much attention if if I wasn't in the band put it that it's way just that both, but it's just both of them can say oh that's my dad and oh that's my dad over there that's that's the difference well, I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's anything to be proud of, to be honest. <laughs> no, no. But then, but then elsewhere in the book, I mean, it's it has emotional, rocky moments because there's the other moment where someone says, "Oh, by the way, your um your partner is also having." I think you used the word shagging somebody else, and you went, "Oh, I I kind of gathered that." What was what was that like to relive that kind of kind of memory? Because that must have been, you know. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it 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 wasn't. I mean, as I was saying in the book, I didn't really have a leg to stand on because my own behaviour was, you know, was excuse the pun beyond the pale. But yes. um, um, but I think, as I said in the book, it, it wasn't so much the fact that that she was, you know, having sex with other people because that, that that really didn't bother me. It was just the fact that she was having sex with somebody very close who. And all the people around me kind of knew, but I didn't. And that—that that was, that's what, what felt like betrayal. But I, you know, I, I really can't point fingers, you know. And that—that's—I make that point. And I think that's one of the realizations in the book that you know, that um, I kind of realized that my own behavior possibly led led to that anyway. You know, I mean, it, it's we were young, you know. I mean, we we were we were young. We we're just. Or like shagging around. I don't know. This is true. This is yes, one yeah. can't this is kind of amazing. But you you also do meet a lot of incredible people during that period, like Jeffrey Lee, Pierce, and the yeah. Gun Club. And that's yeah. and those yeah, yeah. kind of characters. I mean, it does I mean, I know you talk about rose tinted sunglasses with that decade, but there were a lot of amazing characters and bands and recordings. Yeah. And... Yeah. I mean, I I've I've been very fortunate in that sense, you know. I mean, I'm a I'm a music fan. You know, that's why I got into making music. So meeting people from bands that I like is an amazing thing to me. You know, I'm, I mean, I've met a lot of people, obviously, being in bands. Um, 
and it's it's privilege, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, Iggy Pop was a, I would say, a good, a good mate of mine for a little while. Yes, and I loved Iggy. I mean, working with John Paul Jones, working with Robert Plant, you know, and and uh, you know, hanging out with the Cure and Depeche, and I don't know. It was just, it was, um, yeah, Jeffrey Lee Pierce, as you mentioned. You know, there you go. Uh, and, and and it's nice well, you know, met... I mean, as Ian McCullough would say, um, well, you know, so you met Jeffrey Lee Pierce. Well, he met me. <laughs> <laughs> so with with I know you've got another interview. So yeah, do you have, have plans? Do you have plans A for uh, uh the nineties now? Is that in the pipeline as well? For the what? The nine your next book. Have you got plans for the next book? I have I mean, I guess at some point when I have time i mean i'm very busy been very busy this year with the mission touring i'm still remain busy um at some point i guess i might sit down and write a third book i, I, I suppose i should finish it off <laughs> <laughs> yes but, I, I mean i don't know if it, I, I would i would like to think the next book will just be the end because you know it, it it takes a lot of time to write a book well i know they're, they're, they're thick as well aren't they did you i mean do they tell you i mean do you find out how many copies you've sold of like the first one and how many copies are being sold of the second one and thinking oh that's um, interesting um i i don't know specific numbers you know because we actually bought a lot of books at um you know cost price basically from omnibus and sold them for our own shop and i know we did a lot ourselves through our own shop but in terms of sales through a, a normal outlets i'm not sure um you know i i think i mean omnibus were pleased enough to with the sales of the bus first book to you know say take the option on the second pretty much within the first month yes how the days came out you know um and I, and I know I think it was their biggest national seller on Amazon that year. You know, when I say you know the they book they release books by international musicians, but in terms of national musicians, I've, the, yeah, they, they, yeah, mine was the biggest seller on Amazon apparently. Yes, that's cool. And just lastly, I mean, it was quite a few years since the last Mission album. Do you have any plans of any new material? Um, I'm always, you know, coming up with new music, uh, not new words so much, but uh, new music. Um, there will be new music coming out. What form it takes at this at this stage, I don't really know. I don't know if there'll ever be another Mission album. Um just because the list logistics involved are, are it gets more and more difficult with with um you know smaller returns really it costs a lot of money to get us together in the first place and then for us to to make a record together costs quite a lot of money you know and, and like everybody else we, you know our record sales have been hit you know so yes but mm -hmm. next month you've got a massive tour haven't you yep we have yeah and there yeah. you go. So with that, just I know you've got literally a second. When do you get together like a couple of days before, rehearse like hell, and then go and do it, or do you just have to? Um, I don't know. How does it work with that logistics? Well, usually, if we haven't played for a while, we'll get together and rehearse for you know a week, or I mean, yeah, a week. Like the beginning of the year, we rehearse for about a week, ten days, or something like that. Um, for this one, because we've just been out and did Europe for uh, six weeks and then some shows over the summer as well. 
fairly recently with the cold. Well, we're going to need to do a couple of days in 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 uh, in the US. That's all we'll need, you know, just to get up to speed, really. get 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 fit, really, rather than learn new material. It's just yes. a case of yeah. And then it's Baltimore, and then just on the road. There you go. Yeah, it's going to be good. Look, I'll let you groove on, but thank you ever so much. And this has been thank amazing. You thank you very much. Okay, yeah, thank you. You take thank care. Thank you too. Bye bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. I know, I love those little bits at the end, fumbling to say goodbye. Anyway, that's life. A massive thank you to Wayne Hussey, talking about his latest book, Heady Days, The Mission Years 1985 to 1990, available from all good bookshops and also online. And that was um, printed, published by Omnibus Press. And also The Mission Have um, a Tour, as we probably talked about, September 2023. This has been The C86 Show. David East, so if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived, aren't you lucky? So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and that is it. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>